I'd like to introduce our speaker today, Trevor Harrison. He's speaking about the global economic crisis and its impact on the U.S. and Canadian politics. Uh, as you all know, there has been a bit of a downturn in our economy, and uh, there's been a lot of politics played because of that. And there still is a lot of politics being played, and Trevor will try to straighten us out as to what the deeper meaning of that is. Trevor Harrison uh, is well known in Lathbits. He teaches at the University of Lathbits in the political uh, studies and and also social studies. He has done. Uh, several books, and he recently presented to SACPA on the Japanese politics last fall, I think. He's a professor and chair of the Department of Sociology at the University of Lethbridge, interim director of the university's Prentice Institute for Global Population and Economics. Previously, he was a visiting professor at the University of Alberta, where he co-founded the Parkland Institute, Institute and was its first research director. Without further ado, I'd like to invite uh, Trevor up to the stage, and could you please give him a hand? Well, thank you for that uh, you know, wonderful introduction, Nude. And uh, it's it's uh, very nice to be here uh, again. Uh, I don't know how many times now I've been here over the years, but it's always been uh, really enjoyable to be here. Um, the uh, I hope I'm going to present something uh, reasonably uh, coherent today. Uh, these we don't live in exactly coherent times. <laughs> uh, we uh, we live, in fact, as uh, the uh, often say we live in interesting times, whether that's a uh, curse or a, uh, a blessing. Uh, and certainly we live in a time of uh, pretty uh, unusual politics. I was uh, just reading earlier today, actually, that uh, a new leader of the Liberal Party, uh, Michael Ignatieff, was, uh, had met with and presented to uh, members of the Fraser Institute and went around, got a rousing uh, ovation and uh, uh, applause from uh, any of the members, including uh, Ralph Klein, uh, uh, which you know perhaps says something about where the Liberal Party is uh, going. I guess uh, Ralph Klein, uh, interesting enough, though, in terms of uh, unusual politics, about two weeks ago, when asked about the current crisis, uh, said that what he would do if he was premier would be he would spend, he wouldn't cut. Uh, which, uh, thinking back uh, back to the early 1990s, I thought, well, that's an interesting 180-degree turn as well. Uh, and, of course, in the United States, we have a, uh, a fairly articulate uh, black president uh, followed, uh, following in the footsteps of a verbally challenged uh, white president from Texas. Um, and then we have a, uh, a neocon prime minister in Ottawa who suddenly has become a, a raging Keynesian. So uh, all in all, I think this does add up to the fact that we uh, do live in a time of fairly unusual politics. And uh, the only thing as I thought about this was uh, th thank goodness for Gilles Deceppe and the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs for 
flying the same predictable course. Uh, you know, at least there's a, you know, we can, there's something we can hold on to there, we can grasp. Uh, well, what, what's given way to the uh, kind of unusual politics that we're seeing? Uh, well, I think that uh, certainly uh, uh, fear and uncertainty have a way of uh, concentrating the, the mind to, uh, to think about things in a, a very different way. To be blunt, we, uh, we are in a crisis, uh, a view I think that is widely shared by a lot of people, uh, and again, the, the turnaround in this is quite remarkable. A few months ago, uh, many still thought of the current situation as being no more than a market correction, uh, what a, a few at least uh, observed as a good buying opportunity. Uh, <clears throat> most of us have now uh, moved well beyond this, uh, but we, at the same, at the same time, we aren't certain about how we got there and where it is that we're actually going to. There's a good deal of bluster out there, and, and I'm going to talk about a couple of uh, books that I think give us kind of signposts to where, uh, why we've got here and where we are perhaps going. Uh, but another book that actually came to mind was an uh, old anthropology book, uh, uh, Desmond Morris, Morris, I think it was, by the, the Naked Ape. Uh, and, and I thought, you know, watching politicians uh, the last while, there's a good deal of kind of primate behavior going on, kind of thumping chest and standing big and using kind of a deep, gravelly voice, which males can do a lot easier than, than females. And, uh, and so they stand there and they like to pretend that they actually are leading the pack, but uh, I'm not sure they actually are. In some cases, they're actually just putting their finger to the wind and, and uh, trying to follow, uh, you know, follow where the rest of the people are going. But... They, be that as may, uh, we shouldn't blame them for that because, uh, in fact, I, I'm not sure that anybody quite knows where we're going. Uh, but So there are no easy answers here, uh, and, and I'm not going to try to provide you with a lot of easy answers. I wish I could. Uh, but I am going to suggest uh, perhaps a couple of roadmaps, or as I said, uh, a couple of books actually that might help us think differently about the economic and political problems we face and how we got where we are. The first book came out in 1944, uh, written by Carl Polanyi. Some of you may be aware of it. The book is called The Great Transformation. A Hungarian born when the Austro-Hungarian Empire still existed, Polanyi fought in the First World War, fled Europe as the forces of darkness took hold in the interwar years, and eventually settled in Canada, much to our benefit, where uh, his family uh, went on to, has gone on to be one of the most famous families in, in Canada. Um, the Great Transformation is a monumental book. Uh, I don't say it with any... Uh, uh, you can't overstate this. It is a genuine classic, which in recent years has, wit has witnessed a resurgence of interest. At the risk of excess brevity, its main thesis can be summarized as follows. The economy cannot be separated from and certainly cannot be above society, which must be embedded, but instead must be embedded in it. This is to say that markets cannot be self-regulating. Attempts to allow them to function in this way will destroy communities and families, fracture social trust, and lead to economic and political chaos. Sound familiar? Ultimately, efforts to expand laissez-faire markets will result in what Polanyi terms a double movement, the rise of protective counter-movements. The great period of deregulation that began in the 19th century culminated in two world wars, the Depression, and, of course, the rise of communism and fascism, among other movements. Well, it seems Plany was right. Here we are again in the midst of perhaps even greater market chaos, following another period of deregulated markets and the disembedded economy. 
But what I also want to point out here is the apparent inability of the political class, economic advisors, and supposed media experts to think outside the box. Even in the midst of crisis, they continue to fall back on the same slogans of free trade and open borders that have dominated since the early 1980s. Thus, American protectionism is being sold as necessarily wrong-headed. We're hearing all kinds of things. They're going to resort to protectionism. What are we going to do? This is horrible. It'll lead to even greater catastrophe. Well, think for a moment of the word protectionism. To protect. To be protected. What's weird about that? That's the way people function. Yet our politicians, business leaders, and media continue to foster the idea that laissez-faire capitalism is not only the best, but the only way to organize society, berating the logic of protecting people from market uncertainty. This shows a huge inability to exercise creative thought. Instead of looking at the facts on the ground, most of our leaders continue to attempt to fit reality to theory, a theory that has failed repeatedly over 200 years with disastrous consequences, going back to David Ricardo and Adam Smith and others. The sheer absurdity of the situation is revealed in the growing anger and gnashing of teeth by some of supporters of the Harper Conservatives for bringing in a deficit budget. In so many words, they want the government to hold true to conservative precepts of small government and deregulated markets, even if it means economic and social ruin. This is equivalent to members of the Flat Earth Society bemoaning the fact that no matter their efforts, they cannot make the planet conform to the shape of a dinner plate. The second book I want to mention I'm going to spend much more time on is John Kenneth Galbraith's The Great Crash, 1929, which once again is a bestseller, uh, proving uh, the disasters have an upside. Uh, Galbraith, in fact, in the wonderful introduction to the uh, 1997 version which came out, which was in the midst of another disaster, in fact, comments on the fact that every time the book is about to go off the bestseller list, he's been fortunate to have another disaster come along. So he just kept kind of, uh, you know, making money off it. It is a shame that uh, Galbraith is not with us, uh, having passed away in 2006. I, I highly recommend the book. It is uh, for those who love language and also have a sense of wit. Uh, it is a very entertaining but also very informative book. Well, in any case... Uh, he does list in the, in the book uh, five factors he thinks really contributed to the crash in 1929 and, uh, and following that really led to uh, a, a very deep and prolonged uh, depression, as we know. Uh, what I want to do is go over those factors and talk about how they are, have again, but with some nuances, changed, uh, but again have been part of the disaster we're now facing. But I want to add a couple of other factors to that uh, that I think have complicated uh, the current situation. Uh, I've, I've changed the order of his factors, by the way, here. The fifth one, which is really the first, uh, is about economic inequality, and I'll, I'll come back to that for a reason, though, because I think it's, it's an issue that not many of our leaders have thought about in terms of getting out of the crisis. The first of Galbraith's factors underlying the Great Crash was the bad corporate structure that allowed for outright fraud or unwitting participation in a fraud. This situation holds true for the current crisis, and we're all aware of 